Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. How's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here. Welcome in to another episode of the Prospect Podcast. On this episode, I'm going to dive deeper into my now completed Next Step series up on CBSSports.com. It's the second straight year that I've written this series on the evaluation of young quarterbacks in the NFL. Not rookies, but second, third, and now fourth year pros. There's a lot of prominent names from Tua to Joe Burrow, Drew Locke, and then of course, even the 2018 draft class with Baker Mayfield and Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold switching locales from MetLife Stadium to Carolina with the Panthers. And then of course, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills finished second in the MVP voting, I mean, a distant second to Aaron Rodgers, but he did get more votes than Patrick Mahomes last season. I thought there was a lot to dive into just writing these articles. And if you're not familiar with the Next Step series, I start with how each quarterback has improved since he was a draft prospect and I evaluated him. And the reason why I went back to the 2018 draft class, not just because there were five quarterbacks in that first round, it was a very hyped quarterback class, but that was my first draft class at CBSSports.com. And really, those names, Baker, Lamar, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, all pretty uh, interesting storylines heading into their fourth seasons. So I start there, how they've improved since they were prospects. Talk about their supporting cast, which of course matters for all quarterbacks, especially the young ones. And then I talk about scheme because we know how important the offensive coordinator, the philosophy for each organization is. And then improving the weaknesses, strengthening the strengths, and then giving a season outlook. If you have looked into these articles, I appreciate you reading them. But we're going to dive a little deeper and just touch on some points that I wrote in each one of these quarterbacks next step articles over the past couple of weeks. And I'll start with Joe Burrow. To me, the most critical element to Joe Burrow taking that next step, and he was pretty good in those first 10 plus games as a rookie. I don't know if he would have ultimately beat out Justin Herbert, knowing what we know from what Justin Herbert ultimately did last season for Offensive Rookie of the Year. But he was having a good season. It was one of the more encouraging rookie years, especially at the intermediate level. And in general, quarterbacks that are pretty good at the intermediate level ultimately become 
pretty good quarterbacks down the road. It's decently predictive year over year. But the biggest area that he needs to improve, throwing the football down the field. And I think in Cincinnati with the Bengals, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, my guy from two draft classes ago, he has a good supporting cast, and I do think they want to kind of dink and dunk the football. But today's NFL, if you cannot stretch the field and threaten vertically, defenses can squat on those short and in-breaking routes, the comebacks, the hitches, the drag routes, the slants, and make it really congested to be successful and be productive at the short to intermediate level. Burrow was on target on just 21% of his deep throws, 20-plus yards in 2020. The league average was 42%. That's really bad, and that really needs a lot of improvement. Going into the 2020 season, there was a lot of talk that Josh Allen needed to get a lot better down the field, and he did. He needed to get better, and he improved. And I'll get to him at the end of this episode, but he wasn't at 21% in 2019. He was in the low 30s, I believe. Joe Burrow at 21%. And yes, some of that is the the skill position talent. Jamar Chase is tremendous in those contested catch situations. And we know that they have a connection. That's why I was the biggest proponent for the Bengals going receiver over Penny Sewell at number five overall because of the rapport that Joe Burrow has with Jamar Chase. He was pretty aggressive down the field. I like... Uh, that he does have the same offensive scheme and play caller in Zach Taylor. I don't know how much I f- feel uh, confidence in Zach Taylor, but to have the same play caller, I think, is very important for a young quarterback. So that is the one area with Joe Burrow that we'll need to see if T. Higgins, who we certainly know from his Clemson days, is very good down the field as well in those contested cut situations and Jamar Chase. Can Joe Burrow make more bucket throws down the field? And that should be what catalyzes a step forward for him and the Bengals as an organization, the Bengals as an offense. Uh, He was very good getting the football out of his hands. 68% of his passes came in 2.5 seconds or less. And that's much better than the NFL average. That was only 58%. So that indicates Burrow was processing quickly. The scheme was helping him get the ball out quickly. Uh, He wasn't as pressured as a lot of people thought. Only 32% of the time, that's right around league average. I think the league league average is right around 30 to 32%. So he took a lot of hits. And of course, he was injured when he took a hit in the pocket last year against the Washington football team. But it really wasn't an issue with too much pressure. And the Bengals did a good job addressing the offensive line in the offseason. So that's important down the field for Joe Burrow. Uh, the next quarterback from the 2020 draft class, Tua Tungavailoa. And if you're listening to this on Wednesday, you were, and you follow me on Twitter or, or you're a big Twitter person, you saw the firestorm that went down yesterday at the beginning of Dolphins minicamp where Tua threw five interceptions. Apparently it was raining. Some reporters called it a monsoon. Uh, I saw Jeff Darlington of ESPN said, you know, we need to put the interceptions in context because it wasn't the best weather, but Tua did not look good, even if you took away the interceptions. And it is a minicamp, but it, it was crazy seeing the live tweeting yesterday of Dolphins reporters. 
reciting all these picks, saying, up oh, there's another pick, there's another pick, and a third pick, fourth pick, fifth pick. I thought Tua would be a serviceable quarterback and would have a pretty high floor because I thought he processed pretty quickly, understood coverages, certainly was a very accurate at Alabama and got a lot of his hands quickly. He was my quarterback too and my number three overall prospect in the 2020 class. Didn't really see him as next Russell Wilson or Drew Brees like a lot of people did. Um, the position addition that I have in my grading system actually boosted him to the number three spot. I believe he was number eight or number nine overall in terms of raw grade. So the fact that he was playing quarterback pushed him up to number three overall. So I really liked him. I wasn't totally adoring him as a prospect like some other people did. And his rookie season was not very good. I mean, I, I certainly didn't think it was going to be as bad as it was. But the Dolphins bring in Will Fuller. They're getting back Preston Williams. They draft Jalen Waddle at number six overall, who I think can be the next Tyree kill, truly. Mike Kosicki emerged as a very threatening pass catcher down the seam at the tight end spot. What's scary about Tua is he was not pressured very often, 29.1% of the time, lower than league average. He wasn't very aggressive. And from a clean pocket where we know you can take the most predictive powers from year over year, the play inside a clean pocket is much more likely to appear in the following seasons than under pressure play. So maybe you say, hey, last year he was a rookie, wasn't pressured very often, but wasn't sure what to do with the football. But clean pocket play from Tua was bad last year on plays in which he was pressured. I'll start there. He completed just under 44% of his throws, not even five yards per attempt without a touchdown and two picks. And he was not very accurate uh, in those situations either. But when he was kept clean and the Dolphins offensive line was improved, it wasn't amazing, but it was better. And Chan Gailey's system, we know, is a quick strike spread system. A lot of big throwing lanes, get it out quick. And Tua was good doing that. But in those situations, when the Dolphins protected him well, 6.7 yards per attempt, that ranked 34th. And his adjusted completion percentage from a clean pocket was 79.2%, which seems high, right? Not really. Ranked 22nd among qualifying quarterbacks. But 11 touchdowns and three picks, that's a good ratio, solid ratio from a clean pocket. But overall, you didn't look at two and say, hey, this was a young quarterback, a little bit of a deer in the headlights when it came to being pressured. It was, hey, even when things were good around him and there wasn't chaos, Tua still struggled. So I, I'm a little concerned about that, and I'm concerned with the fact we're talking about a average athlete for the quarterback position based on how the standard of athleticism has changed and has increased over the past five seasons, I would say. Since Patrick Mahomes and, and Deshaun Watson entered the league, the standard of quarterbacks in terms of athleticism has changed, especially now you have Drew Brees who retired, 
Ben Roethlisberger's on his last legs. There's a lot more really athletic people playing the quarterback position, and I don't think Tua is a great athlete. I think he's he's smaller. He can move a little bit. I don't think he's going to be insane extending plays or scrambling, and his arm strength, I think, is right at NFL average too. So he needs to be to overcome that surgically accurate, which he was not last season, and process lightning fast. So he was good at avoiding sacks. His sack rate was 6.5% last season, and that was lower than every first-round quarterback from 2018 to 2020, so all the quarterbacks in this subset, besides Justin Herbert and Baker Mayfield. So he didn't want to take hits. He was smart at getting the football out, didn't put the ball in a ton of precarious situations. There was just not a big play element a lot of splash plays, big time throws, as Pro Football Focus calls them, uh, onto his resume. I, I like how the Dolphins have built around him. I like how they've invested in the offensive line. Um, but oh, and by the way, I didn't say it with Joe Burrow. The season outlook. I'll finish with that. I think Joe Burrow will be considered a top half of the league, top ten to top thirteen, somewhere in that range. Now with Tua for his season outlook. I believe the Dolphins will be in the playoffs. There are seven teams now in the AFC. I don't think they're ready to unseat the Bills at this point in the AFC East. But with the 17th game, I could see them winning 10-11 games because the roster is good. And maybe they could even win a playoff game, a wild card game. That wouldn't shock me. But I think they ultimately lose in the playoffs. And the storyline is, man, this was a good Dolphins team but Tua held them back a little bit. And then at that point, with how quickly things change over and reputations are constantly evolving, I wonder what the Dolphins do going into year three. I mean, they're not as much in an advantageous situation in the draft next year as they just were when there was a little bit of a thought early on, like should they be thinking about quarterback after those nine games where Tua was not very good outside of that Cardinals game? That's what I think is going to happen. So whatever, I mean, maybe at some games he'll look like a top half of the league quarterback. I think a lot of games he'll look like a uh, top 15 to top 20-ish quarterback. Some games he'll look like a bottom of the league quarterback. But the team is good, so he'll win games. But I think the Dolphins are going to be a little bummed with the tank for Tua and how good they built the roster up to be that Tua's not helping. He's actually hurting the roster at the end of the season. All right, the other 2020 draft pick, Justin Herbert, the biggest takeaway from the reigning offensive rookie of the year, he was sensational under pressure last year. And to not be a broken record, but to just reiterate this one more time in this podcast, under pressure play is very unstable. It is extremely hard, and history has shown us that quarterbacks have a very hard time rekindling the magic from year after year when they're in those pressure situations. He had the highest quarterback rating under pressure last year. And it's very easy to, to project forward and think, Hey, he's got the arm. He's got the athleticism. He's just going to be great under pressure every year. Do I think Justin Herbert's going to tank and be the, in the bottom five in every statistical category under pressure next season? No, 
but to suggest that he will be as good, I think is just is wrong. It's foolish. He's not going to be as good under pressure. And from a clean pocket, similar to Tua, he wasn't really that great. His yards per attempt average, 7.1 from a clean pocket, was below the league average of 7.7. His touchdown rate and passer rating, below average. And his interception percentage was a tick above average when the Chargers offensive line kept him perfectly clean. They drafted Rashawn Slater. They bring in Corey Lindsley at center. I like what they've done up front. I think there will be more opportunities for Joe Burrow to throw from a clean pocket, which should be a quarterback's luxury. And I do believe that Justin Herbert can and will improve from those clean pocket situations. But we can't expect almost 100 quarterback rating under pressure. Like he showed as a rookie, which was basically unprecedented. It was amazing. I like Josh Palmer, the day two pick out of Tennessee to kind of bolster the wide receiver group. The Jared Cook signing, to me, is probably the most, at this point, unheralded signing of the offseason. I know he's getting up there in age, but we know he is a consistent, reliable pass-catching tight end. They lose Hunter Henry in free agency. They bring in someone who's not going to block too much. Hunter Henry didn't either. In Jared Cook, that is reliable. He's going to catch passes. He's going to make difficult grabs. The back shoulder game can win still down the seam. You still have Austin Eckler. You still have Keenan Allen, of course. Mike Williams is still there. The two, quote-unquote, bottom-of-the-roster players that I kind of refer to him as that, Jalen Guyton and Tyron Johnson, were big-time down-the-field playmakers last season. So the skill positions are good. He has a new offensive coordinator. I'm not the biggest fan of that, but it is Joe Lombardi who has called plays before. He's been with the Saints. I like that scheme. There's going to be a lot of screens and usage out of the backfield as pass catchers for those running backs. I like that. I like Justin Jackson. I like Joshua Kelly. There's multi-dimensional players in that backfield outside of Austin Eckler, who's very good. But that's what it's going to come down to for Justin Herbert. Getting better when everything's great inside the pocket. So for his season outlook, last year, I'll start with this. Last year, he was, if you looked around the internet, asked anyone, or you actually took the time to list quarterbacks who had a better season than him, you would have probably seen and had Justin Herbert somewhere around like a top 12 to top 16 quarterback. Maybe, you know, fringe top 10, maybe 16 to 18 at worst. I think he'll kind of be viewed in the same light. I think the clean pocket play will get a little bit better. We'll see a little bit of a regression from those situations when he's under pressure, making ridiculous plays outside the pocket. But I think he can still do a lot of those same things. Just won't do it as frequently and as efficiently. I think similar to Joe Burrow, he'll be right there, top 10 to top 12. There won't be as many top 16, top 18, more condensed range of Justin Herbert's reputation. He'll be viewed maybe some top eight, top nine, top 10. Most people somewhere between 10, 11, 12, which is very good for a second year quarterback on an upstart team like the Los Angeles Chargers. All right now going to the 2019 draft class, Kyler Murray, who me in to me in general has been slightly disappointing 
Actually, not slightly. He's been disappointing as a former number one overall pick. He's not been bad. He's not been a bust. He hasn't done anything that's a major red flag that the Cardinals should think about moving on from him like midway through the season. But as a number one overall pick who landed in the basically identical offensive scheme to the one he had and flourished in in college, won the Heisman with in college, I think a lot of people expected more from him. I wasn't as quite as high on him uh, as certainly the NFL, the Cardinals, uh, but that obviously wasn't factoring in going to Cliff Kingsbury and that air raid attack. I think he's been good. I don't think he's been amazing. There was a little bit of a period after the Hail Mary against the Bills where it's like, oh, is Kyler Murray an MVP candidate? It wasn't really. And I wrote on that last November, whenever it was. Thought, you know, he'll get some more consideration, but he ultimately is not going to win this award. But what I like from Kyler Murray, what he's done in his first two seasons, gotten better at avoiding sacks. His sack rate went down and was nearly cut in half, 8.1% sack rate as a rookie. That's high. Only 4.6% sack rate in 2020. His accuracy got better. Not significantly, but enough that it was somewhat noticeable. And his clean pocket play went from a 94.2 passer rating to 104.2 in 2020. And we know what happens with clean pocket play from year to year. The skill position group is pretty good. As we know, with elite wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins, Larry Fitzgerald still there. They bring in the... Final season, most likely for A.J. Green's career. See if they can revitalize that. Oh, and by the way, they draft Rondell Moore. To me, a first-round talent in the second round to hopefully be utilized correctly after Andy Isabella really was never and has not been utilized the right way by Cliff Kingsbury as this speed element, type wide receiver, jet sweeps, gadgets, and then over the top, or gadget type that can also stretch a defense over the top. And bringing in Rodney Hudson to anchor that center spot that had been a problem with Mason Cole there is huge. They lost Kenyon Drake. They lost Dan Arnold. But I think it's still a, a it's a skill position group that is has a superstar in DeAndre Hopkins and has enough depth that Kyler Murray can't point to a lack of talent if he doesn't take that next step. I even like Keyshawn Johnson, the Fresno State wide receiver from a couple years ago flashed a little bit when he had to play uh, in his first couple of seasons. And of course, the scheme couldn't ask for anything better if you're Kyler Murray. Uh, that is certainly a huge luxury for him to have. He wasn't um, great at the intermediate level last season, and that has decent predictive powers as well. It was great down the field, and this is not really a surprise because at Oklahoma, there was screen, 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 deep ball, deep ball, deep ball, screen, deep ball. So he's been good dropping in the bucket down the field, but that 10 to 19 yard range where there's a lot of holes in whatever zone coverage you're facing and a lot of the really, really good quarterbacks destroy the middle of the field and, and the 10 to 19 yard range. Tom Brady, I feel like, is just amazing in that level at that level for his entire 20 year career. But Kyler Murray wasn't great at the intermediate level. His adjusted completion percentage was 63%, touchdown rate 6.4%, and his passer rating 72. 
were all lower than league average. I mean, the 72 pass rating is really bad. The league average was 97.6. And 10 of his 12 interceptions came from on passes thrown between 10 and 19 yards. So it's hard to really pinpoint what he needs to do in that range, but he needs to be able to sustain drives. He can't be so uh, splash play reliant that if he's not hitting a bucket throw, it's a punt. Or if his wide receivers aren't making two and three defenders miss or breaking a tackle on a screen, it's a punt. You got to be able at third and six, third and seven, third and eight, or on second and long, getting that first down, making a throw. Your wide receiver catches the pass and he's tackled immediately first down. So he needs to get better in that area. In terms of season outlook, I mean, his strength, I think, is his scrambling ability, the fact that he's cut down on his sacks and his deep ball. The season outlook, I do think he did take a step last year. And I think we will see a quarterback that will be considered a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Not a top five quarterback or even a top seven quarterback somewhere to get really specific between number seven and number 10, somewhere in that range. Cause he is very talented. The scheme is good. The skill positions are good. I love the addition of Rodney Hudson have to say that twice. Cause I think it's that valuable at the center spot. They bring in Matt Filer too from the Pittsburgh Steelers. They've done enough on the offensive line to not make Kyler Murray be under pressure a ton. And certainly with him and the system, he doesn't have to have a brick wall offensive line in front of him to be productive. So he'll take another gradual step. It probably should push the Cardinals into the playoffs. Top eight or top nine quarterback Kyler Murray in 2021. All right, very interesting one coming up. My former number one quarterback in the 2019 class just barely had him graded ahead of Kyler Murray, Drew Locke. And believe me, I get it. There is not a lot of optimism heading into his third season after what was a very disappointing second season in Denver. But you look at these two quarterbacks, Kyler Murray and Drew Locke, and and not to unfairly just compare Drew Locke to Kyler Murray. Drew Locke goes in the second round. He was the second pick of the second round by the Broncos. Kyler Murray's number one overall. But look at the difference in situation. And even last year, even if you take away everything with coaching and the air raid similarities that Kyler Murray had at his disposal and that Drew Locke is playing with a West Coast offense, offensive coordinator in Pat Shermer, after he threw 40-plus touchdowns in an air raid system at Missouri in his career, in one season, but Drew Locke lost Cortland Sutton early. Was it in week one or the beginning of week two? I think it was the beginning of week two or was it late? I think, yeah, it was the beginning of week two. He got hurt in that game too. So that was a devastating blow for the Broncos and for Drew Locke once he returned. But what, why I do think that there is a glimmer of hope, more than a glimmer. I think there is legitimate reason to have hope for Drew Locke. Cortland Sutton is returning, which will push everyone else in that receiver group down the depth chart. And Jerry Judy won't be facing number one corners. And KJ Hamler won't be the number two. Jerry Judy will face number two corners in his second season. KJ Hamler can fill into his specialist downfield role. You still have Noah Fant, Albert Akui Boonham. 
formerly of Missouri, who was very productive and has a, certainly a, a connection with Drew Locke. He's returning. He got injured last year. I like that fact. That is very encouraging. The skill position group, if healthy, very young and very, very talented. I also like that Drew Locke was actually pretty solid from a clean pocket. And I'm not throwing all my eggs into one basket here and saying like, hey, just look at every quarterback's clean pocket play and that's it. I really feel like Drew Locke, because he was so bad under pressure, really the only place for him to go is up. The Broncos offensive line is relatively gelled at this point. And having those better receivers, it's not just about play under pressure and, and the offensive line. When you have good receivers, they help you to be more efficient and not be as bad under pressure, especially when you're a young quarterback. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. But I really like that No Drew Locke was not really great in any one area. But the clean pocket play was actually solid. Average depth of target, which shows he was trying to stretch the field, was much higher than league average. His 7.9, 7.9 yards per attempt average from a clean pocket was also higher than the league average. And I think the Broncos are going to be better up front. I like the Quinn Miner selection. Lloyd Cushenberry was not very good at center last season. Add some more stability to the interior of that offensive line. And I cannot overstate how important it is to have Cortland Sutton back. He, to me, can be a someone that is considered a superstar wide receiver at the end of the season. There is a chance, of course, though, that Drew Locke doesn't even win the starting job out of camp because Teddy Bridgewater is conservative. He's not going to throw a lot of picks in camp and practice. He's going to check it down. He's going to move the chains. He's Probably a pretty good practice quarterback. Drew Locke's going to throw the football into the bucket down the field or through a tight window more frequently, but there might be some more tip passes, or there will be more tip passes and more interceptions thrown. The upside with Drew Locke, I think, think is still there. I think with Teddy Bridgewater, you get a serviceable starter, one of the better bridge quarterbacks in the NFL. But as we saw with the Carolina Panthers last season, there's a ceiling that's not incredibly high. I think by the end of the season, Drew Locke will sniff being a considered a top 20 quarterback. And I get there's only 32 quarterbacks. That's not great. But last year, if you ranked quarterbacks, you would say, hey, Drew Locke's down there with Sam Darnold and with Nick Foles uh, and Carson Wentz is like one of the three or four or five worst quarterbacks in the league. I think he'll improve a small step. The Broncos will be better. And I think it'll be enough for Drew Locke to have a future in 2022 with the Broncos. Cortland Sutton, and the fact that he was pretty good from a clean pocket, and he can't be much worse under pressure than he was last year. And I think Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, the young pass-catching talent, getting a year older will also help 
Drew Locke in Denver. Now Daniel Jones, surprise selection in 2019, number six overall. In general, because I was pretty low on him, he has impressed me, pleasantly surprised me. And I really like what Dave Gettleman has done to show all the haters that Daniel Jones can be a good quarterback. Bringing in Kenny Galladay, shoring up a lot of the defense so Daniel Jones doesn't feel the need to force things, getting down in the second quarter, the start of the third third half. Third quarter, uh, forcing the football or holding on to it too long, trying to scramble, fumbling, that's been a big problem. Kadarius Tony in round one. It was a little bit early for me, but it was after a trade back. They signed Kyle Rudolph. They brought in Dante Pettis and John Ross. Even if one of those sticks and produces as a low-volume type, I think it's worth it. We know Saquon Barkley is returning. Andrew Thomas, the first-round pick from a year ago, played a lot better down the stretch. You're getting Nate Solder back. How good is Nate Solder at this point? Ah, I don't know. I like Matt Pert from UConn, the third-round pick in 2020. I think Daniel Jones is going to be solid. I'm worried about Jason Garrett, though. I'm worried about him as a play caller, and if he, I don't know if he fully understands that he should be throwing more frequently on first down, um, going for it more often, not punting in those critical situations. Um, neutral game scenarios, not being extremely run heavy. And I think he was already bad with that, all those things last year. And then to get Saquon back, are they just going to lean on the run? Which Saquon is sensational. But we know that it's just not the right way, the most efficient way to move the football. Daniel Jones, for not having a big arm, he is very good down the field. He was on target on 51% of his tosses 20-plus yards down the field. That's nine percentage points higher than league average last season. And on those long balls, six touchdowns, no picks. And, of course, this is higher, but 15.43 yards per attempt, which was the eighth highest in the NFL, and a passer rating of 132.5. League average was 100.9. We still have Darius Slayton. I haven't mentioned him yet. 3.9 speed. 3.9, 4.39 speed, takes the lid off the defense. He's been a very good wide receiver in his first couple of seasons, has a very palpable connection with Daniel Jones. So the offensive line hasn't been good, and I I do think it'll be a little bit better. And hopefully Solder can play a little bit like he did late in his career with the Patriots as opposed to his first year in 2019 with the Giants. So I'm thinking at the end of the year, Daniel Jones, top 15 to top 20. And that's kind of, isn't that quarterback purgatory? I think the Giants are going to be a team that's not too fun to play in the NFC East. The NFC East was not going to be as bad as it was last year. It would be hard for that to, it's a pretty low bar to get under. But, I was going through this outlook for him, and I was like, man, can I really envision, given everything that the Giants have done roster-wise and the the play that we've seen from Daniel Jones, can I envision him as like a top 10 or a top 15 quarterback? There's just too many that I have more faith in. Top 15 to 18, somewhere in that range. But I think it'll be just enough 
to save that Dave Gettleman's job and to let him play out the contract that at least first four years for the team option and be the Giants starting quarterback in 2022. All right now to the 2018 draft class quarterbacks. Super fascinating, compelling, whatever you want to say, group of quarterbacks. And I'll start with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's had a pretty big roller coaster to start his career. He sets the rookie touchdown record in 2018 without a really great cast of characters. Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, uh, not much else in terms of premier receiving talent. The Browns are a lot better. They're competitive. Everyone's pumped about Baker. The offseason, they trade for Odell Beckham, and the hype is to the moon. Then in 2019, with that skill position talent upgrade with Odell Beckham and a better offensive line and the fact that we knew that Nick Chubb was an elite running back, getting Kareem Hunt back in the middle of the season. With Freddie Kitchens, Baker was not very good. He was very antsy under pressure. Uh, not as many big-time throws as I think people expected. Took a lot of sacks. Uh, was missing open receivers, and that really was never a problem at Oklahoma. But then last year, with Kevin Stefanski, kind of this stabilizing force at the head coaching spot, finally in Cleveland, running a very quarterback-friendly system, Baker was actually pretty good. A lot of play action, a lot of running the football, a lot of schemed open throws, but Baker was actually solid. He improved. He got close to where he was in 2018 as a rookie. He didn't have to do as much, though. And that is the kind of catch-22 that I have. I had it last year with Baker Mayfield in my season outlook for 2022 that I think, similar to Tua, we've realized that with Baker, he's accurate. And I think his arm's a little better than Tua's, especially at the intermediate level. You don't need to throw it 80 yards to show you have a good arm. I think he can zip it through a tight window uh, with a little more ease than someone like Tua can. But in terms of athleticism and the arm talent, I think he is maybe a tick above, above league average. So operating this Kevin Stefanski system, it's a branch off. Uh, or it's a branch off of Gary Kubiak, and we know it's the branch off of Mike Shanahan, and it's the same similar system, similar core foundations to what Kyle Shanahan is running in San Francisco, Sean McVay with the Rams, Matt LaFleur with the Green Bay Packers, Mike LaFleur, his brother this season with the Jets. A lot of wide zone, and then the play-action bootleg game off it looks identical for the first second or two of the play. It's a time-tested scheme that creates a lot of efficiency for a quarterback. So in those critical situations against the Bills in the playoffs, against the Chiefs, maybe the Ravens, maybe the Chargers. Can Baker do enough himself to step out of this insulated offense to beat someone like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson or Justin Herbert? All quarterbacks who are more athletically gifted than Baker. So this isn't really about where Baker is viewed. I think most would consider him a top half of the league quarterback at this point. That's where I would view him, top 12 to top 16. I think that's what he's going to be this year. It is a 
scheme oriented offense, not a quarterback oriented offense. If you get my drift there. And certainly scheme matters for all these quarterbacks, but like with Allen and Mahomes and even Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, they have good schemes here and there. Like when they have big seasons, the scheme helps, but they have that in vital situation ability to elevate above the scheme and make ridiculous plays for their offense. I don't know if Baker can do that. That's so it's not really about putting a number on him. I think he'll be viewed mostly in a positive light, but unfortunately for a quarterback that's going to throw it five to six, 700 times in a season, it's going to come down to like one game for him. The Browns are going to be very good. The offensive line is great. Odell Beckham's returning the skill position. The pass catchers could be a tick better. But I'm worried about even if they went 12 or 13 or even 14 games because the defense should be a lot better as well, getting a lot of players back from injury. If they are in a divisional round game against the Bills or in the AFC title game against the Chiefs or the Ravens or the Chargers, they have to, and he has to face Josh Allen to get to the Super Bowl. Will, ba- will Baker Mayfield have enough to enough talent, natural talent to win that game. And that's what I think his reputation is going to hinge on this season. Next quarterback from the 2018 draft class, Lamar Jackson. You know, what's crazy Lamar Jackson last year in this quote unquote regression from his ridiculous MVP season of 2019, he wasn't actually that much worse individually like his passing numbers across the board and just watching him throughout the season. And I, I try to pay more attention to some of these young quarterbacks that I scouted. I didn't really see like, Oh, his accuracy is way worse or down the field. He's not as good, or he's missing more throws in 2020 at the short level than he did in 2019. And I watched all of his throws in 2019 for a project I did for CBS sports. Didn't do it last year, but always kept a closer eye on those quarterbacks, especially my babies, my 2018 class. That's what I call them. Lamar. It really wasn't Lamar. It was the defenses caught up with Greg Roman's scheme. And we know from his time in San Francisco with the 49ers and in Buffalo with Tyrod Taylor, that's what's happened. They come out like gangbusters. No one can stop this old school attack. A lot of power running, a lot of play action, low volume passing. Oh my God, we're, we're, we're built to stop the pass and they're running the ball down our throat. Lamar Jackson's the most dynamic runner in the NFL, the quarterback spot. How do we stop him? Then by year two, it's not as dynamic. So I think it is more about the scheme and the skill position talent, which hopefully Greg Roman for Lamar Jackson's sake has evolved and says, Hey, we can't be throwing the ball. 18 times a game in today's NFL for as good as we are going to be on the ground. We're not going to be as efficient on the ground as we are throwing the football. If he can do that and come to that realization that will help Lamar Jackson. And just the fact that the Ravens drafted Rashad Bateman to me, the most, one of the most complete wide receivers in the entire class in round one, they picked him there. Drafted Ben Cleveland, the big road grader out of Georgia at the guard spot. 
They did trade Orlando Brown, which I was not a fan of for the Ravens. To trade him to the Chiefs? Yikes. But they did sign Ali Villanueva, who was not great last season for the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. But a fully healthy, I think he can still be a serviceable starter at right tackle. And they get Ronnie Stanley back. An all-pro left tackle. So this one it was like, watching film and researching, I was like, man... It's really not Lamar Jackson. It is what the Ravens do for him with their coaching and their skill position talent. I think by the end of the year, Lamar Jackson is considered a top eight to top 10 quarterback. So we see a step forward for Lamar Jackson. He's probably viewed somewhat in that range right now coming off the MVP season and then the dip in efficiency last year. I think we see a slight step forward to get at least pointed in the right direction toward that 2019 year for Lamar Jackson. I think the Ravens, to me, the Chiefs, the Bills, the Browns, and the Ravens right now are the elite teams in the AFC. And I think Lamar Jackson, big year on the ground. He'll be a solid passer, not a phenomenal passer, but good enough because he's so good running the football. He just has better talent around him. He has Sammy Watkins as like, I don't know. I don't think he needs to be the number one at all, but the number three, Number two, number three, you had Rashad Bateman, like I said. I, I like what the Ravens have done. A typical Ravens way, they let some guys go. They trade some guys away. They allow themselves to have a bunch of day two and early day three picks to revitalize the roster. So I think Lamar Jackson top eight to top ten quarterback by the end of the season. Two more quarterbacks in this next up series that I just finished at cbssports.com. You can read all the individual pieces on there. You could actually just Google Chris Trapasso, CBS Sports, get to my writer archive, and you will see all the articles that I've written for the past couple of weeks are all these quarterbacks, deep dives into everything about what they have done thus far in their NFL career and then projecting forward into 2021. All right, Sam Darnold, I'll just come out with it. Never was high on him. I thought he was well overdrafted, very turnover prone, at USC, I was intrigued, like many others, with the fact that he was making some high-level anticipatory throws at such a young age at USC. But his final year at USC was not as good as his 2017 or 2016 season as a redshirt freshman. Still very young, but he's thrown more passes in the NFL than Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, Jimmy Garoppolo is like six years older, but imagine thinking that Jimmy Garoppolo is completely done, washed up, he's a backup now, and then also believing that Sam Darnold can still be a high-level franchise quarterback when Darnold's actually thrown more passes in the NFL than him. So do you care about age or do you care about actual experience on the field? And everything that Sam Darnold that transpired with him, with the Jets, you can kind of wash away. Like, I will be the first to agree with anyone that says, hey, you know, the situation couldn't have been worse with Adam Gase, a bad offensive line, a crappy skill position group. That certainly was true. But from every metric that you look at and just watching Sam Darnold, he was so bad under pressure down the field uh, with his accuracy, with decision making uh, from a clean pocket. It didn't matter. And the Jets... Yes, he was pressured 42.1% of the time. The second highest rate in the NFL. The Jets did not do a good job protecting him. 
But when he was kept clean, he wasn't very good either. He's going to get a bump in terms of coaching, having Joe Brady call the plays there in Carolina. And I like DJ Moore. I like Terrace Marshall, who they picked in round two, who has a relationship with Joe Brady coming from LSU. Christian McCaffrey's a pretty good player to check it down to. I just don't know what strengths Sam Darnold brings to the table at this point. And I, I get it. He's young. I'm not saying he's come, he's washed up and he should retire. But I think, and, and yes, there is a chance. I think it is a very low percentage chance that Darnold takes off in Carolina. I just think if I were to bet on this, I would say uh, Sam Darnold, we, after 1,200 plus passes in the NFL, kind of know who he is at this point. And really, I don't blame him for entering the 2018 draft class because all the hype was there. He went number three overall. The Jets traded three second-round picks to get him. But in terms of his long-term development, it probably would have been better for him to return to USC and enter the 2019 draft class. But no one's really talked about that. It just leading the NCAA in interception or in turnovers in his final season. It kind of got glossed over, which I don't understand why. Anyway, I, I think uh, in terms of where I would rank him in terms of his season outlook, we'll see those tantalizing flashes, the, the throws into the bucket, the pinpoint accurate tosses with anticipation, but we're going to see a lot of antsy play under pressure, the misses from a clean pocket, the bad decisions, the misreading coverages. So I, top 20 to top 25. And at that point you're talking really about bottom fourth of the league. I think the, everything around him in Carolina is better than it was with the jets. Is it significantly better? Maybe the coaching. Cause Adam Gase to me was the worst coach in the NFL. Most unimaginative, unimaginative and predictable coach in football. But we have Matt Rule, Joe Brady in his second season, a very young age at offensive coordinator. I like the skill position group. I don't adore it. And the offensive line is good. It's not amazing. So I think we'll see Sam Darnold look more competent. I just don't know if going into 2022, or I don't believe going into 2022, the Panthers will think, man, this is our guy. Let's pass on this quarterback class. We got Sam Darnold. We're set. I just don't see it happening. And last but not least, Josh Allen of the Buffalo Bills. He has certainly improved significantly from his time as a prospect. To jump 11% in terms of his completion percentage was basically unprecedented. We've never seen that from year two to year three in the NFL. And he was amazing from a clean pocket. So that's why I still believe that Josh Allen is going to be an elite quarterback in 2021 and into the playoffs for the Buffalo Bills. He actually wasn't great under pressure. The Bills offensive line uh, is fully back. Bills GM Brandon Bean did a great job in free agency to retain a lot of those players from the AFC title game appearance last year. Not just Matt Milano, but Daryl Williams, who is fantastic at right tackle. John Feliciano, who can play center been serviceable at times good and at times liability at guard didn't have to cut Mitch Morse the center which I would have thought would have been a huge mistake they have uh Daryl Daryl 
Deion Dawkins. I was going to say Daryl Dawkins, and I was like, that's a basketball player. Deion Dawkins at left tackle. The left guard spot's a little bit up in the air with Cody Ford returning, the former second-round pick out of Oklahoma from injury. Uh, there's Ike Butker, who's been serviceable, but at times a liability, especially in the AFC title game. For Josh Allen, he just needs to get a little bit better under pressure. Um, he, his completion percentage under pressure, 63, his adjusted completion percentage, 63.5% ranked 28th out of 39 qualifying passers. And his yards per attempt average was just 6.6, which tied for 13. So solid, but the accuracy under pressure was still a little shaky, was still very shaky, but from a clean pocket, he was outstanding accuracy yards per attempt touchdowns, the interceptions, everything outside of structure. He made a ton of plays was so dangerous outside the pocket, not just as a runner, but also throwing the football. And he improved his accuracy down the field. And that was what I wrote last year and was the low hanging fruit going into his 2020 season. Can he improve down the field for being this strong arm guy? Why is he missing so many guys deep? His adjusted completion percentage down the field was 46% last year. That was higher than the league average of 42%. They lose John Brown, but they bring in Emmanuel Sanders. I think that will be will be totally fine. And I think even at his age, 34 years old, Emmanuel Sanders, still one of the better separators in the league. And John Brown, very good wide receiver, but he got banged up, and he was never really the same after that injury in the Arizona Cardinals game. Heard his knee kind of fell awkwardly. Made a great catch on an outside of structure play by Josh Allen. Was never really the same after that. Emmanuel Sanders is not going to stretch the field like John Brown can, but in terms of getting open, and we know that this is a separation-based offense, Emmanuel Sanders can still hold his weight in that regard. There's a lot of depth at the wide receiver spot, obviously with Cole Beasley. Gabriel Davis had a good rookie season, although I do think a lot of it was schemed open. They drafted Marquez Stevenson. Uh, the Speedster out of Houston in the sixth round. There's still Isaiah Hodgins, who spent his rookie season injured. I had a second-round grade on him, and the Bills picked him in the sixth round. He's tall. He's twitchy. Very big catch radius. Doesn't drop a pass. And the Bills did a lot, of course, in the draft and in free agency to improve the defense. That was solid, but not amazing last year. So last season, it was Aaron Rodgers, Deshaun Watson, and Josh Allen. In terms of individual quarterback play from start to finish, those were the three best quarterbacks, and I believe in that order. You can throw Patrick Mahomes in there too. I believe we're going to see another top five quarterback season from Josh Allen. The scheme is the same. He's had the same offensive coordinator for the first four years of his career. That is almost unprecedented. The skill position talent, especially at receiver, is phenomenal. The offensive line is all back together. I think Josh Allen is in for another huge, productive, efficient, high-volume season for the Buffalo Bills. Top five quarterback in the NFL. All right, that will do it for my deep dive on my next step quarterback series. Read all the articles at CBSSports.com. And do not forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Prospect Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris Trapasso.